Hey, this is Jeff. Thanks for tuning in. Um, this week's message, uh, I go over Hebrews 7, um, Melchizedek, and the role of Jesus as a high priest. Um, and I'm really excited, um, and I believe there's a revelation uh, for you um, in Jesus being your high priest and what his ministry looks like today. So thanks for listening, and uh, we'd love to have you. We've been in the book of Hebrews, a super fun book. Uh, Matt's been preaching, but his, uh, he's an uncle now. His sister-in-law just had a baby, so he is, he is gone doing that stuff, doing uncle stuff. So you're stuck with me for tonight. Um, but we've been going through Hebrews, and we'll be in Hebrews 7 tonight. Um, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, Hebrews 7. The main point of Hebrews 7 is to establish Jesus as our high priest. Um, You're going to hear the language of a priest a lot tonight. And uh, when I was growing up in church, I didn't really think of um, priest belonging in Christianity. I was like, that's that's Catholicism, right? Um, However, Jesus being a high priest, I think we should know what that's all about. Um, and the Hebrews, um, when this was written to them, contextually, they converted from Judaism. So their Christians converted from Judaism. Don't look at me like that, Pete. <laughs> You're going to have to move. They converted from uh, Judaism to Christianity. And they would have had an issue with Jesus as a high priest because he did not come from uh, the Levitical lineage. Um, if you know anything about the Old Testament, um, Mankind sinned a lot. Uh, there was this thing called the law, which brought awareness of how, how much we sin. Um, it was supposed to be an invitation to lean into God more, but it just it made us more aware of how sinful we are. Um, so the Lord established the uh, Levitical priesthood to become uh, priests that would sacrifice animals on behalf of people to atone for their sins. And um, it says in Hebrews that... Uh, the sacrifice of animals would cleanse the outside of you for a time, uh, but your conscience was still uh, cloudy, uh, sinful, and you know shame, guilt, condemnation. Sacrifices, animal sacrifices, never took away the the uh, the stain of sin on our conscience. Okay, they would have had a, an issue with Jesus being their high priest because Jesus did not come from the tribe of Levi. Or the lineage of Aaron. So how in the world is Jesus supposed to be our high priest? Because in the way that God made it was you can only be a, you can only be a priest if you come from the tribe of Levi. Um, so we'll unpack that a little bit in Hebrews seven. And uh, the what the writer of Hebrews does is he unpacks Hebrews two seventeen in chapter seven. Hebrews two seventeen says therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every aspect in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Um, So we're just going to go right into chapter 7, if you guys are good with that. Just going to go verse by verse. You'll hear about this mysterious character named Melchizedek. Um, Scholars and people a lot smarter than me argue that they can't agree on who Melchizedek is. Some say he, it is Jesus, 
incarnate in the Old Testament. Some say it is a, um, it's an angel. Um, some say it's a representative of Jesus. Either way, we know for sure that Melchizedek is a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ himself. Uh, there are characters throughout the Old Testament that foreshadow who Jesus is, what Jesus is about to do, and the, and the prophetic nature of Jesus. Melchizedek is one of these guys. Um, there's a short section of scripture about him, but it's it, honestly one of the most fascinating characters in the Bible. Um, so, chapter 7, verse 1. Uh, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. So, right off the bat, we see that um, Melchizedek's name is translated king of righteousness because uh, he, he's the king of Salem, meaning king of peace. So the, the name Melchizedek could be translated king of righteousness, um, and he was also king of peace because the name Salem means peace. So you see, you see a, a character <laughs> labeled as the king of righteousness and the king of peace. Who does that sound like? Sounds like Jesus, right? Jesus, that's the answer to everything, right? Sunday school. Um, so Abraham was, he defeated the confederation of kings, uh, who took his nephew Lot captive, but then he went and met with the mysterious priest named Melchizedek, um, and Melchizedek, Melchizedek, I'm, I'm going to say that so much tonight, I'm going to, it's, it's not going to sound familiar after that. He was a king and a priest of God, which was an exception to the rule, uh, because God not, God did not allow kings of Israel to be priests and priests to be kings. So here you have a mysterious figure who's a king and a priest, which is fascinating and also describes Jesus. Yay. And he blessed him. So Melchizedek blesses Abraham. And Abraham gave Melchizedek a tithe, which is a tenth part of all, all the spoils of battle. This is um, fascinating because in order for someone to bless someone, they have to spiritually have authority over them. So Abraham submits to Melchizedek, who's a king and a priest. And Abraham, in the Jewish faith, is the father of faith. And so Jews would have seen this as Abraham submitting himself to a foreshadow of Christ, which is important for the context here in Hebrews. And we'll, we'll keep reading. So this is about Melchizedek, verse 3. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Verse 4. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descendants descended from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descent his descent from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promise. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. There you have Melchizedek is considered the superior here. In the one case tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself who receives tithes paid tithes through Abraham for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now, this is kind of biology here, uh, but my kids were, <laughs> were in here before they were out there. Does that make sense? 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sweating. <laughs> so that's what this is saying here is basically the, the entire priestly line through the tribe of Levi basically tithed to Melchizedek through Abraham since they came from Abraham's lineage. The Bible would say loins. <laughs> okay. So anyway, they would, <laughs> a convert from Judaism to Christianity would place a high, high value on this because the, the tribe of Levi is, is pretty uh, elite to them. So therefore, the whole tribe of Levi, the Levitical priesthood, paid homage to or paid tithes to Melchizedek, which is a figure and foreshadow of Jesus. Make sense? Okay. Verse 11, now if perfection had been attainable through the, Levit through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek? This is basically saying um, the, the, the law, if the law had brought perfection, there, there'd be no point of Melchizedek or, or a priest to come after Melchizedek in the likeness of Melchizedek. Because the law would have been enough to, um, to atone for us. However, we, <laughs> we see clearly in the Old Testament that the law did not bring about perfection. It brought about our awareness of our need for someone like Melchizedek. For Verse 12, for when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken of belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. There we go. Jesus didn't come from the line of Aaron. He came from the line of Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. So under the law of Moses, God strictly commanded that only those from the family of Aaron could serve at the altar in sacrifice. When it says, he of whom those, these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, this is saying Jesus is obviously not from the family of Aaron or even the tribe of Levi. The tribe of Judah, which is the tribe of Jesus' lineage, had nothing to do with Aaron's priesthood. The priesthood associated with the law of Moses. Therefore, according to the priesthood of Aaron and the law of Moses, Jesus could never be a priest. If he is our high priest, it must be under another principle. If he is our high priest, there has to be another covenant attached to it. That, and, and we find out, because we have the Bible now, that Jesus fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the law that the, that the tribe of Levi and that priesthood served. And then he came in as, as our high priest, our most high priest, with a new law, a new covenant attached uh, the, 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 the law written on our hearts by the Holy Spirit himself. Verse 15. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. Jesus' priesthood is not based on lineage. It's based on the power of an endless life that he has, which means that his priesthood is eternal. It stands forever. Oh, look at, I didn't even know you guys were putting the verses up. Man, it's a different translation. I'm sorry. <laughs> verse 
verse 17, for it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is in Psalm 110. This could be said of the Messiah who was a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. It could never be said of a priest according to the order of Aaron, none of whom had the power of an endless life, and each of whom served a limited term as, as priests, which was limited to their lifespan. And this is according to the power of an endless life. Matthew 27.1 says, uh, When morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. Among those who conspired to put Jesus to death, get this, there were priests in the order of Aaron. You guys get that? Isn't that fascinating that the priests dedicated to serve the law were the ones that protested to have Jesus killed and usher in a new covenant with a new high priest? They were basically, <laughs> they were basically quitting their jobs, you know what I'm saying? Are you guys getting that? That's fascinating to me. Verse 18, for on the one hand, a form of commandment is set aside because of its weakness and use, uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Verse 22, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he's able to save to, save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he also lives to make intercession for them. Well, I have a couple notes on this that I want to go over. So he's able to save to the uttermost. The unchanging nature of Jesus' priesthood means that the salvation he gives is also unchanging, permanent, and secure. Most people read this verse as if it says Jesus is able to save uh, from the uttermost. But really, is a, Jesus is saying... Um, He's able to save to the uttermost because he is our high priest. He can save forever. We are not saved from, but unto him. Those who come to God through him. This means that Jesus is the one that is able to save. What a high priest. And, and, and Jewish converts would get this imagery very, very well because they know their lineage, they know their history. That high, the high priest was the only one who could go into the Holy of Holies once a year and atone for their sins. They would have gotten this, that Jesus is the one now. Jesus is the high priest. And, and the whole lineage of, of the tribe of Levi actually paid tithes and submitted underneath Melchizedek, which is a foreshadow of Jesus. So in their minds, they're thinking Jesus is actually the superior here. He's the superior high priest. And he is the one that saves in the Old Testament, it was the, the sacrifice that atoned. But Jesus, in the New Testament, the ultimate high priest, becomes the sacrifice. And it says, he ever lives to make intercession for them. So this is really fascinating. It strengthens us, obviously, to know Jesus prays for us, right? And he lives to pray for us because he, it says he's at the right hand of God right now inter interceding for his people, right? This is uh, encouraging <laughs> in the least. But Jesus' intercession is is not necessarily a matter of continual chanting prayers on, on the behalf of his people. 
It means that he continually represents us before the Father so that we can draw near through him and that he defends us against the accusations of Satan. That is the intercession of Jesus. He is continually representing you before Father God himself and defending you against the attacks of of Satan. That is the intercession of Jesus. That's the ministry that Jesus holds and the office he holds right now as high priest. Verse 26. Yep. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who's been made perfect forever. So I, w- I want you guys to understand the, the role better of a, of a high priest. The high priest was, was the supreme religious leader of the Israelites. Um, and the office of the high priest was hereditary and was traced from Aaron, the brother of Moses, of the Levite tribe. The high priest had to be whole physically uh, without any physical defects and holy in his conduct. That was according to Leviticus 21, 6 through 8, Exodus 28, 1, Numbers 18, 7. The, whole, uh, the high priest was the supreme religious leader of the Israelites. Um, it was hereditary. And the high priest had to be whole physically without any physical defects. That sounds like the spotless lamb that had to be sacrificed, right? So Jesus was not in the lineage of Aaron or the Levitical tribe because he was superior. He had to be attached to another covenant that's superior than the old covenant. Jesus was torn apart. (laughs) Jesus became sin. He became the curse that we struggle with. And he was nailed to a tree. it's, It's just fascinating to me that the high priest becomes the very sacrifice that we enter into the new covenant through. The, the main takeaway of chapter 7 is Jesus, as our high priest, represents and gives us access to a new covenant. So the role of the high priest was to offer sacrifices. In the Old Testament, they had to do a spotless lamb. There's imagery all over the Old Testament. If you haven't read the Old Testament, it's, it's amazing. Um, there's this thing called the mercy seat. Do you, do you guys know what the mercy seat is? If you don't, so the, the, the priest would go into what was called the Holy of Holies, and they would bring a spotless sacrifice, lay it on the mercy seat. And the mercy seat looked like, um, it looked like a, a seat, obviously, but, um, sorry, and it would have cherubim on either side. There's like angelic beings on either side. And when the high priest would sacrifice something, it would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. And that's how it would atone for the, the sins of the people. The mercy seat was in the Holy of Holies, and they would sprinkle blood to atone for the sins of people. This went on for years and years and years and years. Jesus comes along, and he lives a, a blameless, perfect, spotless life. He is the spotless lamb spoken of in the Old Testament. And when he is um, 
convicted of whatever they said he was, basically being the son of God, they, they wanted to crucify him. So they rip his flesh apart, uh, put a crown of thorns on his head, they nail him to a cross. Um, he dies, and they put him, when they put him in the tomb, um, and then three days later, he resurrects. Um, Mary, I believe Mary is the first one to discover that he's gone, right? And the imagery that she saw when she looked into the tomb, she would have seen, and this is in the, in the scripture, she would have seen um, blood stains where they laid him, and she would have seen an angel. What does that look like? The mercy seat. So the blood of Jesus now sits on the mercy seat of heaven, and the blood of Jesus speaks eternally over you, over all those who enter in through Jesus. It's, it, the blood of Jesus declares you holy, blamely, innocent, and it, and it empowers you to live the truth that God has called you to. And that blood always sits on the mercy seat of heaven as a reminder that Jesus once and for all took care of all sin for all eternity, and we can be free of it. Does that make sense? You guys seeing that? Jesus, the high priest, sprinkled his very own blood on the mercy seat of heaven. The one that has the power of an endless life, his blood sits on the mercy seat of heaven on your behalf. And, and, and he takes up the ministry of intercession for you, representing you to the Father as himself. And he protects you against the attacks of the enemy. How crazy of a new covenant is that? That's the covenant that's attached to this high priest named Jesus. It's much better than the old covenant, right? Jesus is our high priest, represents and gives us access to a new covenant. Jesus is our high priest, oversees us as subordinate priests. He's our model. The role of the high priest in the Old Testament was to oversee subordinate priests. So I don't know if many of you um, consider yourself a priest it's not like Father Jeffrey up here, um, not that priest. <laughs> it's not like Catholicism or anything like that. Um, you want to know what a, a priest is, you, you look at the life of Jesus. If you want to know the, what the will of God is, you look at the life of Jesus. Don't let anybody tell you anything other than that. The will of God and your role as a priest is discovered through the life of Jesus. And he, as our high priest, we are now his subordinate priests. So when the Bible says king of kings and lord of lords, those lowercase k kings and lowercase l lords are, would be us because Jesus, okay, let me back up a little bit. Outside of Jesus, right, I'm an orphan. I'm lost. I'm in the kingdom of darkness, okay? When Jesus, when I decide to follow Jesus or, and Jesus saves me and rescues me, he adopts me into his royal family. He makes me, these are scriptures, he makes me um, a, a co-heir with Christ. And we know Christ is king and Lord, king of kings and Lord of lords. And if he makes me a co-heir, that means I get to reign and rule with him. This goes all the way back to the, to the commission in the Garden of Eden that we don't have time to, to get to. Well, I'll throw it in for, for a couple seconds. Way back in the Garden of Eden, when Jesus, when, when God made mankind, he said, be fruitful and multiply, uh, take dominion over the earth. We, we know that Satan came into the Garden of Eden from somewhere. Satan was already on earth. Satan and, and, and the devils were already on earth. So God makes man in his likeness and says, be fruitful, multiply, take dominion over the earth. The only reason that would be necessary would be if the earth was in was in a spiritual chaos with Satan and, and demons being there. 
So God wanted to make man in his image and replicate his image all over, all across the earth. Um, my opinion to just kind of spite Satan a little bit. <laughs> so he said, be fruitful and multiply. Take dominion over all the earth. I lost my train of thought. What was I saying, Pete? Yeah. We are his subordinate priests. Okay. So the role of the priest, or sorry, we're king, kings and lords with Jesus. That's where I was. Jesus is the king of kings and lord of lords. If when we, Jesus originally created us with his image, we forfeited um, our dominion to the keys of dominion over to Satan when we agreed with a lie that he spoke to us. It's why when you agree with the lie from hell, uh, you give the devil permission to torment you in that area. That's why people who have suicidal thoughts uh, agree with the lie that they're worthless. When you agree with a lie, um, you know, there's tons of lies, but lies come from the pit of hell, and when you agree with them, you give the devil authority to torment you in that area of your life. So we go through giving over the keys of dominion to Satan. We live through all the Old Testament, the law, a sinful nature, and then Jesus comes and he fulfills that law and he basically wins the keys of dominion back from the enemy over the earth. And then he gives it back to his disciples and he says, um, go therefore make disciples of all nations covering the earth. He restores the original commission back to his, his followers. So when Jesus says you are king of king, he is king of kings and lord of lords, it's because he invites orphans who were once lost in the kingdom of darkness into his family to be seated with him in his likeness again. He restores the image of God back into you. And then he says, now take dominion over the earth because it's in chaos. I don't know if you've walked downtown. Uh, <laughs> there's chaos everywhere. The commission is to bring the kingdom into the earth, on earth as it is in heaven. That's what Jesus prays. Father in heaven, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are now ambassadors. We're, it says we're co-heirs with Christ. We have his divine nature. And in 1 Peter it says you're a royal priesthood because the Levitical call the Levitical calling and the priesthood was to minister to the Lord. If you guys don't know what that means, it means to tend to, to take care of. Uh, we like to say to take care of God's heart. That's what ministering to the Lord means. That calling was supposed to span into the New Testament, which is why in 1 Peter, God says you are a royal priesthood. You're supposed to excuse me, you're supposed to take up the calling of the Levitical priesthood to minister to the Lord, not to do animal sacrifices, even though we joke about that a lot. It's not to do that. It is to minister to the Lord. So when, when we have Jesus as our high priest and we're the subordinate priests, we're supposed to look at Jesus as our model. So to minister to the Lord is to live like Jesus, Right? To, to take up a priestly calling is to live like Jesus. And priests were the, the mediator between God and man. So our relationship with the Lord, if, if we, most people, uh, most people step from orphanhood into um, the kingdom of, of God and they're, they're just content to live, uh, barely saved for the rest of their life. They got their ticket to heaven and that's it. 
Uh, however, we feel strongly that the Lord has called us to be a people that minister to him and live out the gospel every day. And this means we have to explore what, the, what it means to be a priest on the earth while we're still here. To be a priest on the earth while we're still here means to live like Jesus. It means to model our lives after the one true high priest who gave himself um, for us. To be Christian is to be Christ-like. God has restored his image in us. We minister to the Lord. We minister to people. This is the life of Jesus. He had an intimate relationship with his father. He would often slip away from crowds to go be with his father. Where is the intimacy in your life? If there is no intimacy with God in your life, you're missing uh, all of it. Because you cannot love people without, without being known by God and loving God. There's nothing to give away if you do not know God. Because he's the source of all things. He's the way, the truth, and the life. W apart from, when, you're, when you sever that vine connected to Jesus, whether it's through uh, complacency or, um, I don't know why you would do that, but sometimes it happens. And, and you lose sight of Jesus. When you sever that thing, um, unintentionally sometimes, and you're not spending as much time with him as you, you need to be. You're not being filled by him. Because it says in Romans 5, 5, the love of God is poured into your hearts through the Holy Spirit. It never says anywhere in scripture that it stops pouring. So when we fail to love our neighbor well, it's because we fail to be loved by God well. Does that make sense? You cannot love without his love. Otherwise, it's a cheap imitation of, of love. If he is the way, the truth, and the life, and, you, and somehow that connection to him gets severed, you're not going to know the way, you're not going to know the truth, and you're not going to have a life. But when you're connected to him and receive your sustenance and, and daily strength through the Lord, you'll be free to love people uh, well without needing anything in return. So when you're full of God, you don't need anything from man. You don't need approval, you don't need um, a, a cool story, you don't need a certain reaction, you don't need anything from that person. You're free to love them well because you're full of, of his approval. And that's how Jesus lived. Jesus was so satisfied by God that he was able to offend anyone and not care. He was so satisfied by God that he was, he was able to love people without needing anything from them. Another thing in our priestly ministry, I mean, to, to be a priest is just to, to be Jesus. Jesus carried the ministry of reconciliation, not counting the sins of others against them. We give ourselves to God like Jesus did. Our lives become living sacrifices. If Jesus is the model, that means the ultimate high priest gave himself on the mercy seat of heaven to atone and satisfy our sins for all of eternity. So if Jesus gave himself, we are to give ourselves to the Lord. And it says in Romans 12 that you are now living sacrifices. Your life is a living sacrifice. We don't need to, to do <laughs> animal sacrifices anymore. We have the one true sacrifice once and for all eternity that sits on the throne of heaven for us and he intercedes for us and he represents us so that we can step into the holy of holies and live from that place. We get to live from the presence of God as kings and lords co-reigning with him and we should be the most unoffendable, joyful people because of that. But because I, I, I really do think we have not learned about 
Jesus' role as a priest enough and we, uh, we're not letting the Lord love us enough so that we need certain things from certain people and we get offended really easily, we get upset really easily, but if we're full of him, we don't need anything from anyone and we can love freely. Does that make sense? Okay. So the main takeaway, Jesus is your high priest and he is interceding for you. And, and if, if anything else from tonight, I just want you to understand that Jesus, his, his ministry right now is representing you in the courts of heaven. As, and, 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 and the Father is saying, is declaring over you freedom, holy, blameless. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you because Jesus is your high priest. That's, that is it. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Jesus took the place of you and he absorbed, he absorbed, sorry, I laughed at that. He absorbed the entire curse of mankind into his body on the cross. And then his blood is sprinkled on the mercy seat of heaven and his blood never stops speaking a better word over your life. His blood is always warm. There never needs to be another sacrifice for you ever again for all eternity. That's the ministry of Jesus. And that empowers you to step into the Holy of Holies with confidence, not fearful, not hesitant. With confidence, you can stand before God the Father and be yourself and say, thank you, Jesus, that I'm clean forever and I get to enjoy God forever. And the fruit of that looks like a people that loves the Lord with their mind, heart, soul, and all their strength, and loves people really well because they love the Lord. And when we love the Lord, he loves us back, and he fills us, and that's why this connection right here is our priority. Because if we know if this is here, this will be fine. We don't even worry about this. If we're connected to him and he's filling us, I don't have to worry about how, how people feel. Maybe you've never heard that before, but I don't care how you feel. If you're connected here, this will be taken care of. And so Jesus is your high priest and his ministry to you right now, that's what he invites you into. He invites you to step before the throne of God and say, thank you, God, I'm gonna live free. I thank you for your love. And, 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 and he woos you into an intimate connection with him that satisfies every need that you'll ever have and fulfills your life. Amen? All right. <laughs> All right. We're going to take some minutes. Um, actually, let's just put, let's put our hands over our hearts. Um, Jesus, we thank you that your blood is still warm on the mercy seat of heaven. We thank you. Let us never forget your blood. Let us never forget your blood. It's a constant invitation into intimacy with God the Father. It's a constant invitation into freedom into freedom. You've already done it all for us. Sometimes we just don't have the revelation, Lord. We ask for a revelation of how much you truly saved us. You saved, you didn't forget a single bit of us when you saved us, and you saved us to Father God, unto him, to live for him, to love him, and to be loved by him so that we could be so filled that we could freely give away what you give to us, and that's the kingdom. That's the gospel. We're invited in through your body, through your blood, to the very presence of God, to reign and rule on this earth with you. 
and love you until we die and then spend eternity with you. Sounds like a great life, Lord. We, th- we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. Lord, teach us how to minister to you. Teach us how to tend to the needs of your hearts. Teach us how to cater to how you, how you feel, how you think. Let us move with you. Lord, be our leader. Be our leader. We don't want to go anywhere if you're not leading. Lord, we thank you. Lord, I pray that you would bless everyone here. I pray that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would give them dreams in the night. I pray that you, they would learn to hear your, voice, hear your voice way more clearly, Lord. That we would take risks knowing that all of our mistakes are paid for and we're free to live as sons and daughters. And taking risks in the kingdom is, is encouraged by you. And when we mess up and fall down, like a good father, you're there to pick us up and encourage us to do it again. Do it again. We thank you, Lord. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer for anything, you're obviously welcome uh, to come up front and some, someone will come pray for you. <laughs> so you are dismissed to hang out. Pray with one another. Please talk to somebody. Um, share who you are. If you need prayer for anything, you are dismissed.